Welcome to the Mo Therapy Podcast. Glad to have you here. A quick reminder that you are inherently worthy and this is not a substitution for therapy. Additionally, any technique I suggest is an invitation, not an expectation. And I say this because I want the very best for your mental health. Seriously, I do. In this episode, I'm going to give an aha moment, a fun fact, and a question to ponder, making mental health resources easier to access and sharing information about the path to becoming a mental health counselor or school counselor. In this episode, I'm going to talk about the epidemic of loneliness, the benefits of using role-playing games and therapy, and examples of how it can be used. This last semester, I have done a deep dive into using role-playing games and therapy, and it's all because of my goofball of a partner who got tickets to watch Not Another D&D podcast at the Moore Theater. Um, I think it was February or something like that, and I thought, you know, I should listen to one podcast because then I'm not so confused when I'm at the show and I can kind of understand the background of what's happening. Uh, One show turned into 50 shows they're about an hour long each uh and I did that in a month so yeah I got a bit sucked into it I'm an avid podcast listener but that's a lot for one show I love the relationships that they have with each other you can really tell that they genuinely care about each other and just like have fun and play and like to poke at each other and support each other. So super funny. I highly recommend you listen to it. But my fave person is Emily Axford. She plays a character called Moonshine Sybin. And in the last episode I listened to, she was consoling another character who is a teenager in the game and recently made a mistake. And I love what she said in response. Basically, she was like, you know, when you're a baby and you have to build up a germ library so that your immune system is stronger well when you're a teenager you build up a mistakes library so that you can learn what not to do later i think that's so endearing and i'm totally gonna use that metaphor in the future it was also a really nice break from all of the non-fiction stuff i was trying to cram into my head with school and whatnot so in the morning i would put it on and just start off my day with silly fun and laughter and i could really see it make a difference in my mood i have this metaphor about a joy bladder and making sure that your joy bladder is full and protecting it like it's a sacred entity. Another metaphor I would use is, you know those glow-in-the-dark stars that you put up on the ceiling when you're a kid? Well, in order for them to glow, they have to soak in the sunshine during the day. If they're put in a box or somewhere and they're not able to soak in the sun during the darkest of the night, they can't be able to glow. So I feel similarly with joy and that's kind of like soaking up the sunshine so that in dark times you're able to glow and as therapists we'll get into dark times with people or with ourselves and so finding value in creating time to soak in that fun so that you can use it for later times that are more difficult which is a great segue into why I'm such a supporter of using role-playing games and therapy. As we grow up it seems like we view play as frivolous 
rather than as a necessity, as something that is a luxury that people do when they have all of their work done and everything on their list is completed, then they can be able to have fun. But I was listening to a podcast by Brene Brown and she said that every day she plays pickleball and it doesn't matter if something is due or she's late for something, that that's something that she schedules into her life because it's important to her. And I just love that because I think it is important I believe we are in an epidemic of loneliness and I should asterisk that to say that it's not just me but the Surgeon General of the United States Dr. Vivek Murthy has recently written a book called Together the Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World. He's been interviewed on a number of podcasts. He has a lot of fascinating things to say. Also in 2018, England had appointed a minister of loneliness. And recently, the second country in the world, Japan, in 2021, also appointed a minister of loneliness. And their main job is to implement measures that prevent social isolation and helps to build community. This epidemic is causing a lot of negative side effects on individuals and society as a whole, resulting in depression, suicide, and even aggression and xenophobia. I'm reading a book right now called How People Matter, Why It Affects Health, Happiness, Love, Work, and Society. And it talks about how mattering is a feeling of feeling valued in adding value and how it's essential for our well-being. It was published in 2021 and they have a lot of relevant examples of how it shows up in society today. In the book, they have a fact about how from 1999 to 2017, the suicide rate in the United States rose 30 And in rural communities, it increased by 53%. Depression affects 322 million people around the world, which is equivalent to an entire population of the United States. The rate of depression in the United States from 2005 to 2015, so 10 years, has gone up from 6.6% to to 7.3%. Nationalism is on the rise around the globe, which is a serious threat to democracy and to human welfare and human rights. And then there are other events around Brexit, Trump, Russia. I don't mean to verbally doom scroll. I am really an optimistic person, but I'm pointing out the areas where society is really oozing infectious goo out of a deep wound and the need for people with all sorts of talents to be able to help repair this damage. I enjoy this quote from Gandhi. He said, when I despair, I remember that all through history, the ways of truth and love have always won. There have been tyrants, and murderers, and for a time they can seem invincible, but in the end they always fall. Think of it, always. And personally, I want to be one of those people that's on the forefront of helping youth to create connection, belonging, and meeting in their lives. I see how the intersection of role-playing games and therapy can really benefit youth 
because it's fun and engaging and social. And collectively, we can feel, deal, and heal. That last feel, deal, and heal is from Tiffany Rowe. She's awesome. You should check her out. And role-playing in therapy, like having these games, it's kind of like eating your vegetables without realizing you're even eating your vegetables. But before I talk more about using role-playing games and therapy, I want to give you some terms so you'll be less confused and also I won't have to say so many words, RPG. So I'll start off with RPG, which is not to be confused with RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. RPG stands for role-playing game. It's a game in which players take on the roles of imaginary characters who engage in adventures, typically in a fantasy setting overseen by a referee. You can think of this as long-form improv or a choose-your-own-adventure book. It's more involved than a choose-your-own-adventure book, but for simplicity's sake, using this metaphor, the dungeon master or the DM is the person that would be the author of the book who's creating the world and structuring the adventure, whereas the players would be the readers of the book and the players get to the side, you know, when you're reading through and it's like, do you want to eat the slugs? Turn to page 53. Do you want to put the slugs on your feet and slide down this rooftop? Turn to page 15. You know, like one of those books. But uh, like I said, it's far more complicated than that in which all the players and the DM are collectively writing the story together. But that's just a simplified metaphor in order to help you understand in an RPG, it would the adventure would be like the dm would say you enter into a tavern everyone is gone there's green slime and it seems like people have left in a rush you turn to the right and you see a cup of water next to you vibrating like it does in jurassic park what do you do and then the players get to decide what their action is and they'll roll dice to see how successful or unsuccessful their action will be another term is is TTRPG, which stands for tabletop role-playing games, such as the famous Dungeons and Dragons or D&D. In D&D, the person that runs the game or connecting to the metaphor before, like I said, the author is the dungeon master. They can also be called a GM or a games master. The difference between naming is because a DM is closely related to uh, D&D, whereas not all RPGs are D&D games. And so you use GM for games that are outside of D&D. And I recently learned about an RPG from a new friend named Alex. And this type of game is called PBTA, Powered by the Apocalypse which is another type of tabletop role-playing game design framework that was developed by Maggie Barker and Vincent Barker. If you want to learn more about this type of game, there's a great YouTube video called How to Play PBTA, Powered by the Apocalypse. It will be up in the show notes if you want to look at that. But the video helps explain the pared down rules in the simplified characters, which makes the game easier to use because there's less information to remember. And it's still a game where people collectively tell a story together. 
I feel like so often when podcasts share information that I want to write down, I'm either driving or I don't have time to be able to write down the information. And so I'll just screenshot the podcast and then go back to that time and move forward or backwards to find where the information's at. So you can do that. Or like I said, I'll have this information in the show notes. But back to RPG, when I learned about RPG and therapy, I really felt like this is something I could connect with and see others benefiting from it as well, especially junior high to high school students that are feeling unmotivated, lonely, maybe socially awkward as they navigate this really uncertain world that we're all moving through. In September, I'm starting my internship at a high school and I'm really looking forward to it because I want to start up a group. I talked to my supervisor this last semester to see if that would be a possibility and she said yes. I also just signed up for improv classes. They start in July and go until September just once a week for eight weeks and it's going to be so much fun. I really loved doing theater in elementary school and in junior high but I had to choose between sports and theater and I chose sports. Sorry all theater fans. I wish I did do theater though to tell you the truth or maybe I could have done less sports. Like did I really have to play year-round soccer? Was that necessary? I I feel as though I would have been such a happier kid if I just did soccer during high school varsity and did theater the rest of the time. But I'm glad to have the time now where I can be able to put improv into my life. And doing improv is such a great way to be a better GM because that's basically all you're doing is people are throwing different scenarios or reactions to you and you have to yes and it and play with the strengths that the characters have and see the goodness that each of them has within them and bring it out so that they can also see that for themselves and play with that. I know of one lady that had organized a D&D where her plan in her head when she structured this adventure was for everyone to go down to this fisherman's village where they would go along a coast and then in the fisherman's village to an island along the way there was a sea monster that they had to there was a bunch of people they had to talk to in order to get a boat and then while they're on the boat there was a sea monster that they had to battle against before getting to the island which was the end of the adventure but the characters in the very beginning were like hey let's go over to that mountain and they did they befriended a dragon and then flew to the island completely missing everything that she had like set up in the adventure but she was flexible and ended up taking the characters that she had in the village and then just moving them onto an island and so just reiterating the importance of being flexible and agile with what your players give you i recently completed the level one certification from game to grow there's three in total and it helps therapists to implement rpg into therapy and i found it super helpful because I find there's so many different things that I could say of why RPG is beneficial and how it's beneficial, but they narrowed it down to these five core capacities, which are regulation, collaboration, planning, 
perspective and pretend play. And they also talk about how RPG can benefit people who are experiencing depression, anxiety, eating disorders, PTSD, schizophrenia, bipolar addiction, and autism, just to name a few. Last semester, I did a paper on RPG and therapy, and there is a ton of research that's coming out that talks about the benefits of RPG, so that's pretty exciting to see that there are researched backed best practices that one can use moving forward in someone's practice. So here's an example of what the core capacities would look like in a game. So say there's a player who's struggling to express themselves or really timid and their character is put into a situation where they have to give a speech to rally the troops. Now for this player, giving a speech is a really high stress environment. And so while they are giving this speech, they're learning how to regulate their emotions. They're learning how to take into perspective what would motivate other people. They're playing with the feeling of what it's like to speak out in public. And then even if the player ends up not being very motivating or just saying something in a monotone voice that's like, let's go get them, the counselor or the therapist can be able to give that student a boost by being super silly and being like, whoa, the troops go wild. They're all like, woo, let's do, let's go into battle. And then this can create a positive reinforcement boost for that one student for feeling like they succeeded at something that's difficult. There's another example I heard where a student who in reality is being a bully to other students, but in the game, they have a character that's really strong and peaceful that helps to mediate conflicts. And in real life, when he was walking home, there were some other students that invited him to go do this one thing that was unethical. And he found the ability to say no. And he did so by thinking about what his character would do in that situation. And that helped him to be able to live a life that's more congruent with his own values. And I think that's amazing. In the last example I'm going to give you, there was a bilingual group where there were some students that spoke Spanish and they wanted to learn English. And there were other students that just spoke English and wanted to learn Spanish. In the game, the Spanish-speaking students were a bit hesitant to speak up, and so the therapist created other characters that only spoke Spanish. And so the English-speaking students really looked to the Spanish-speaking students for help in overcoming these obstacles or solving these problems, which made the Spanish-speaking students feel more included and valued in the group. Players can also use RPG in order to embody different gender identities, sexual orientation, and idealized personas. Aspects of narrative therapy are clearly a part of RPG as people are rewriting their stories or exploring different stories and also externalizing their problems, seeing how other people react to different situations and how it feels when an action is taken and the consequences are experienced. 
players get to try what works and what doesn't work, and they get to explore their own self-expression and develop problem-solving skills in a really low-risk, supportive environment. In this environment, the players get to choose the level in which they want to engage with, which can differ day by day or group by group, and it could be based on a mood that someone has, it could be based off of trust that needs to be developed, I feel like when I was a teenager, I could be told to do something a thousand times, but it wasn't until I understood in my own way why I should do something that I would be motivated to change my behavior. And through this game, they get to learn more about how and why they function a certain way and how they participate in creating their own struggles and successes. And the game also provides me as the therapist to really point out their strengths. Oftentimes it's hard to get teenagers to talk about their life and their thoughts. So this game creates opportunities where I get to point out the goodness that I see in them and let them know that they add value and that they are valued. But another thing I really love about D&D is how it creates opportunities for collaboration. And even if a player is not ready to collaborate, they learn the importance of cooperation, which can lead to collaboration in the future. As the game develops, players can slowly build trust with each other that they are working together, that they're here for each other, that they want the success of the other player. And this can help players who develop empathy and understanding for each other and learning how to value people for their strengths and for their weaknesses. Well, thank you for listening to my ramble. I'll definitely report back on what I learned after my level two certification with game to grow That's in July sometime. But I'll leave you with a thought to ponder that comes from solution-focused brief therapy. The question is, if you had a magic wand and you could make one problem disappear, what would it be? What would you feel like the next day and how would others know that this problem was gone? I hope you have fun pondering that question and here are three things to take away from today's episode. Number one, if you want to learn more about incorporating RPG and therapy, check out Game to Grow. Aspiring Youth is also a great organization. I'll say that again, Aspiring Youth. I didn't have time to talk about them, but I will in a future podcast. Two is that uh, therapy using RPG can benefit people who experience depression, anxiety, eating disorders, PTSD, schizophrenia, bipolar addiction, and autism, to name a few. And lastly, Game to Grow outlines five core capacities in therapeutic gaming. These core capacities are regulation, collaboration, perspective, planning, and pretend play. Well, cool. That's it, y'all. If you can't get enough of this content, you can check out my Instagram at mo underscore therapy. And I'll leave you with a quote from George Bernard Shaw that says, we don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. Okay, now go take a nap. You deserve it. <laughs>